Good morning. It is good to see you. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning again and to preach God's Word and to worship God together. And uh, we're going to take our time of worship from singing right on into the preaching and herald God and love Him and draw close to Him and learn more about Him and draw closer to one another, uh, to be the body of Christ and to um, love God, love each other, love the world. So I hope today you are encouraged to do just that. If you would, stand with me and turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read one verse today. Uh, I think we read one verse the last time I was with you out of the book of uh, Malachi. But uh, today, one verse, actually not even uh, the entirety of the verse. We're going to look at verse 21. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, these words. For to me to live is Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this day, the Lord's day, and the opportunity to worship. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who did for us what we could not do for ourselves by bearing our sin and saving us, giving us life, life everlasting, and hope in this world. And a family, a family that goes beyond that which um, is blood-related, the body of Christ. And Lord, today I pray that your body, your church, is encouraged I pray that you are glorified, that Christ is esteemed in and through us on this day and the remainder of our days till you return or call us home. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So... What does this statement mean to you? That for me to live is Christ. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you personally? And I suppose for many, this would simply mean believing in the gospel and having eternal life, right? And obviously that would not be wrong. After all, to live is to believe in the gospel, but I can't help but wonder, as I study this passage, I can't help but wonder if Paul meant something more than just belief in the gospel. Yes, it is that, that's where life begins, but did Paul mean something more? I mean, after all, look at what he says in the rest of verse 21. If he says to us, for me to live is Christ, And then he goes on to talk about dying, being gained, and he's writing this epistle from prison. He's got to be contemplating more things than just heaven and the benefits of heaven and belief in the gospel and being united to Christ by faith. There's got to be something more here, and I can't help but wonder if what he means is that he could not fathom living in this world apart from making his life count by making much of Jesus. 
It had to be about Christ and not himself. It had to be more about the glory of Christ saving him and what that calling looks like as he advances the gospel more than it does about him just keeping the gospel to himself or knowing what its end is. Surely this passage means more than just the triumphant sentimentality that is often attached to believing in Jesus and looking forward to heaven's benefits. Surely it must have something to do with the joyful embrace of the single-minded passion for the Lordship of Christ in one's life now. A couple of years ago, I preached through the book of Philippians, and this is one of those passages that just really stands out. And I think it's one of those passages that we, that, that we read, and it impacts us, but we don't stop to think about what, what it all entails. That to truly live the life that God has called us to live in Christ, in a world that is lost, what does that mean? And so, verse 21 is just one of those passages that really sticks out in one, namely, that is packed full of truthful application that, in my opinion, it transcends much of what we understand and live out in the Christian life. I don't think sometimes that we really understand and stop and think about the things that God has actually said to us. <laughs> one man described it this way. That is, the truthful application of a text like Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, that transcends much of what we understand and live out in the Christian life. He said it like this. When the Soviet Union launched a space probe in 1967 that was designed to land on the surface of Venus in order to send back statistics and other information so that they could collect the appropriate data in order to do their research... They discovered many years later that the information that they retrieved was actually wrong. It was false. And here's why. The space probe gave information that was 15 miles above the surface of Venus. So obviously the information is going to be wrong. Here's the parallel that he made about the Christian life. In the same way, many well-meaning believers stop receiving data when they too are miles from the heart of Christianity. Doesn't necessarily mean that you've relaxed your grip and dropped the gospel and therefore have lost your salvation. I'm not saying that at all. But we get to a place in our lives where we've sort of relaxed our grip on the gospel. We sort of relaxed our grip on what it means to cultivate a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ ongoing, continuously. And what happens? Well, we become weak. And it's more about knowing about God rather than actually knowing God. Being neighbors of God, but not actually walking hand in hand with God. 
There's a major difference there, isn't there? And so when we meditate upon a passage like this, we see this truth claim. This truth claim that not only speaks to my existence and your existence, but, but one that's actually transforming us. The Christian life is all about change. God changes us by His grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then from that point forward, we are constantly being renewed and changed, being conformed, hopefully, by the grace of God, more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. So the Christian life is all about change. So there's transformation that occurs, but is there ongoing transformation? Does it continually have ongoing consequence in our lives? Does it speak to the application of, my, of the gospel in my life moving forward? You see, when, when we became believers, we just didn't jump off of the diving board of the gospel into the Christian life. No, the pool itself is the gospel. That, that, that's where we live and move and have our being in the gospel of God. We, we relish it. It's not the ABCs of the Christian life. It is A through Z. It's all of it. And it ought to be shaping us. It ought to be molding us. It ought to be taking us somewhere. Where is that place? It is to the heart of God in Christ, clinging to the promises of God, putting our confidence in things that you and I both know we cannot accomplish and achieve on our own strength, but that which God obviously began and has promised to complete. And so what I think the Apostle Paul is doing here is, is really helping us understand what it means to have Jesus as king in our lives at all times. Not just when it's convenient, but at all times. That is, us living in the economy of God as believers who are filled with the Spirit of God, and we've gotten the written Word of God, and we are hunger, hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness, and we long for the Lordship of Christ to have dominance in our life at all times. You know, that would look more like this. God's calling the shots in our lives, not we're no longer doing that. And obviously, it's, it's, what, it's what Paul refers to here. Well, back in Ephesians chapter 4 and also what he says here in verse 27, that, that we who are urged by him as a prisoner of the Lord, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. So there is a manner of life, right? That is consistent with the truth claim that's on our life. But what's that looking like? He says in verse 27 here in Philippians chapter 1, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, as you know, has many things to say throughout the New Testament as a man who wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And much of what he <clears throat> has to say has a way of making us think, 
And rightly so. Now, here's, here's the temptation for me and you. That we just look at it as if it's Paul's experience only. Oh, that, that's Paul's life. But listen, our, the Apostle Paul and God's word is speaking to us also. Yes, it concerns Paul first and foremost, but what is true of Paul? Is it not also true of us? I never remember reading that there was one kind of Christianity for the Apostle Paul and the disciples of Jesus, and then another for us. It's all the same, right? I mean, aren't believers all unified? Under one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is through all and in all. And that what Ephesians chapter 4 teaches us? It does. And let me just mention here, if we think for one moment that we will survive the influence of the enemy... The enemy who has been deceiving people ever since the beginning and us remain a united body along with all the chaos in the world, all the philosophies, the different types of speculations and political ideologies that are meant to distract us from the truth and walking in joy while thinking that somehow a shallow, mediocre, insincere, half-hearted relationship with Christ is okay. Friends, listen, that... You're gravely mistaken. Back to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Apostle Paul says walk in a manner worthy. Is the Lord Jesus Christ worthy? Oh, what he experienced at the thought and then at the reality of the Son being put forward by the Father when Christ had never known any kind of separation from the Father that was his hell what he endured for us And we look upon that and we say, yes, oh, give me all that you've got, God. I just want heaven. I want those, quote unquote, streets of gold. I want to see family members. I want to see friends. I want to enjoy eternal life. But the call you've put on my life now to live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a day and age and time and life that really appears to be quite bonkers, very chaotic, Oh, Lord, I don't, want, I don't want to live worthily to you during this time. It, it costs too much. That's not walking in a manner worthy, is it? Well, I really wanted to talk about five things that I think that this verse, uh, it, 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 that Paul is trying to convey to us. So I'm going to run through those Quickly, okay? I believe there are five things, and it's not a very exhaustive list, 
but at least five things that the Apostle Paul, I think, wants to convey to us about what it means that for us to live is Christ. Okay, you ready? Number one, the purpose of one's life, guess what? Is Christ. That's our purpose. To live for Christ means that this is the purpose of our life. This is the reason of our existence. Paul had no hidden agendas. The entire reason for his life, the entire reason for his existence, the entire reason for which Paul lived, the reason that he preached, traveled, ministered to unreached peoples on his missionary journeys and surrounding churches and was willing to be persecuted and was imprisoned and beaten five times with 39 lashes for the sake of the gospel can all be reduced to this one phrase. That for me to live is Christ. Yes, but Paul, what do you mean by that? What does it mean to have my very existence revolving around the life of the Lord Jesus Christ? I think if we were to ask the Apostle Paul that, I think this would be his answer. He'd probably give a very long answer, but in short, here's what I think he would say. What it means to revolve your life around Christ is that you, the believer, no matter the circumstances, are to live to make much of Jesus. That's a very simple way to answer what it means to have our lives revolved around the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God did not deliver us in order for us to make life about ourselves, right? Why did God deliver us? He delivered us so that we would make much of Him. He's deserving of that glory. God saves that He might be glorified upon the earth, among the nations. He created us for this so that we might make Him look to the best of our ability, with His help and by His grace, that He would look like the infinitely worthy God that He is. And listen, it doesn't matter how everybody else is doing this. <laughs> oh, how we get so caught up in the way so-and-so, how this one and that one's living. The only thing that matters is how I'm living out my faith, right? I know there's accountability, so on and so forth. And yes, we judge people by the fruit they bear. I get that. But unless I take care of myself first, I'm no good to the body. And just think if we were all doing that and how we might not only care for our own selves, but then contribute to one another in the area of accountability and stewardship and, and what that might look like. Ministering to the body, one anothering one another. But... Obviously, here we see the Apostle Paul encouraging us to first look inward, to examine our own lives. How the gospel is shaking, shaping my life, how I am being obedient to the Lord Jesus. Look at the wording here. Does Paul say, for to you or to me? He personalizes this charge. And Paul's examining himself first. 
One man said victorious Christianity is personal. Paul said, for to me. It also is something practical. The apostle goes on to say, to live. And here's what we must remember. It's also something possible. Because the apostle Paul goes on to say that it is accomplished in Christ. In Jesus. Secondly, the priority of one's life is Christ. To live for Christ means that the priority of one's life is Jesus. In other words, Jesus must be Lord over our lives, not just some of the time or when it's convenient, but that he would be Lord over our lives at all times. He's number one. He's got the right to call the shots in our life. And since he is Lord, we seek by his grace and hell through the power and unction of the Holy Spirit to be obedient disciples who follow Jesus wherever he says. Nothing supersedes this. Everything is yielded to him. Nothing comes before God. And this means that Jesus must have first place in our life. It means that he's had, he has first place in our family. It means that Jesus has first place in our marriages, the church, our careers, our finances, every single decision and action and thought. It means everything. He must have first place in our conversations, pleasures, eating, drinking, hobbies, friends, all the rest. Nothing is off limits. Whenever we said yes to the Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, And whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so you see, whenever we have determined in our hearts that to live is Christ, and everything is rightly prioritized under His Lordship, our direction as Solomon tells us in Proverbs chapter 3, we then have some direction, some clear direction, don't we? Listen to what he says here in verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will make your paths straight. Third, to live for Christ means that the passion of one's life is Christ. We got some passionate people in the building today? No passionate people here? All right, so when we draw out some application to this verse, I want you to listen up real hard, all right? No, we are passionate people. And uh, we all know only too well when we get close to one another, we find out what really moves us. Well, friends, Paul's telling us that Jesus moves him. And don't you want to be moved by Christ? Don't you want Christ to have such freedom in your life that he directs and commands what you say and where you go? And it pleases you. Your heart is full of joy. You are glad in God when Christ is directing our steps and we're seeing him get all the glory for it. And people are coming to faith in Jesus. People are being encouraged in the church and people are being served in our communities. That's 
what passionate Christianity looks like. It's worth noting here that whenever you read the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, nothing thrilled his heart more than Jesus. After his Damascus Road experience in Acts chapter 9, his life was never the same. As a matter of fact, he said, I am a fool for Christ. There's a story about a young Christian man who came to a gentleman by the name of W.E. Gladstone when he was Prime Minister of England. And he said, Mr. Gladstone, I would appreciate you're giving me a few minutes in which I might lay before you my plans for the future. He said, I would like to study law. Yes, said the great statesman. And what then? Well then, sir, I would like to gain entrance in the bar of England. Yes, young man, and what then? Then, sir, I hope to have a place in Parliament, in the House of Lords. Yes, young man. What then? Then I hope to do great things for Britain. Yes, young man. And what then? Then, sir, I hope to retire and take life easy. Yes, young man. And what then? Well, Mr. Gladstone, I, I suppose I will die. Yes, young man. And what then? Young man hesitated and said, well, I never thought any further than that, sir. Looking at the young man, Mr. Gladstone said, Young man, don't be foolish. Go home and think life through. You're like, okay, what does that have to do with anything? Here's the point. That whatever you are truly living for, it will come out. Whatever you are truly living for will come out. And however honorable it may be, if Christ is not central, then all of your plans and preparations will be a failure. Now hear me, I didn't say all of your plans and all of your preparations are going to be failures. I said if Jesus is not central to those plans and preparations. It will be a failure. What is your passion? For to live for Christ means that the pattern of one's life is Christ. Meaning, the believer's life must imitate that of Jesus. It's a tall order. You know, we read statements like that, and yes, we throw them around, but you know what? In reality, that's hard to do. But it's also the goal of every believer. We read in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? Be conformed to the image of his Son. We must think like Christ, talk like Christ, walk like Christ, submit to the Father like Christ. Everything in our life must be patterned after the life of Jesus. Again, there's Paul's closing remarks there in verse 27. 
Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, Christ has left us an example to follow. If our lives are being patterned after anyone other than Jesus, guess what? It's being patterned after the wrong thing, isn't it? Do you know what the most repeated phrase in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is? It's the words of Jesus. It's two simple words. Follow me. Follow me. 1 Peter 2, 21 again. Christ has left us an example to follow. Or Jesus said, follow me. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, the Apostle John says, The one who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk in the same manner as he walked. Talking about Jesus. How can we tell who's following Jesus and who's not? It's by the way they walk. It's by the way they live. If their life is being patterned after our Savior, that's how we know. Last, the partnership of one's life is Christ. To live for Christ means that the partnership of one's life is Christ. In other words, Paul was in fellowship with the Lord because Christ lived where? Outside of him? He lived within him. But he also cultivated this relationship too, didn't he? He cultivated his relationship with his Savior. In other words, he was savoring the Savior. Again, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The living Christ by His Spirit. He lived in the Apostle Paul and he lives this way in everybody who believes. And this is what he tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. When Paul talks about the surpassing value, listen, the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord. In order that I may gain Christ, that I may know him and become like him. Pay attention to those three words. Knowing, gaining, and becoming. This is what it means to live for Jesus. To cultivate our relationship with Him. To know Him. And to be like Him. Well, one of my favorite books. By a gentleman who just recently went on to be with the Lord. J.I. Packer. His classic book, Knowing God. Probably my favorite Christian book. He talks in that book about the difference between knowing God and knowing about God. Good read. I highly recommend it to you if you do not have it and have not read it. Very encouraging. But he's right on, isn't he? Because it's not about... It's, it, it's not enough to just know about him. But 
we must know Him. And as I said, in order to become like Him. And the more we know Him, obviously, the more we gain Him. And the more we gain Him, the more we become like Him. And we obviously cannot become positioned in Christ any more than we already are because we are in Christ by grace through faith. We are in Him. But what can we do? We can grow deeper. We can grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus. We can cultivate an even greater stability in our walk with our Savior. Listen to how Peter closes his second epistle out in chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, it just wasn't an idea that Peter stumbled upon. He just didn't throw those words out there because he thought that would be good encouragement for the church. No. It comes in the form of a command. It's a mandate. And as a matter of fact, it's what our hearts long to do anyway. Nobody should really encourage us to do what needs to occur in our lives in order that we might grow, gain, and become more like Jesus. So as I bring this message to a close, I, I want to ask you a question. If I were to pass out blank pieces of paper and ask you to finish this sentence, what would you write in the blank? For to me to live is... What would you write in the blank? For to me to live is. How would you finish that sentence? Would you write going to church? Church membership? Baptism? Bible study? Family? Morality? Being with my friends? Doing missions? Tithing? What would you write? And is it sufficient, whatever you think, should be put in the blank of that sentence? If for us to live as Christ, then what we write in that blank, but most importantly, what we write on our heart, insofar as the application of the gospel goes in our lives from day to day, it makes all the difference. If we have bowed the knee to Jesus, in humble obedience, and we have submitted our lives to this all-sufficient, beautiful, glorious, sovereign Savior. And we've determined in our hearts that for us to live is Christ. Listen, your life is never going to be the same. Never was for Paul, just as it, hasn't, as it has been for all down through the ages of Christianity. Well, for some here today, maybe God is calling you back to a deeper and more fruitful relationship than you're experiencing at the present. Or maybe there is someone who feels as though there was a breach, a sin, a wrong turn that you took in your Christian life that you just can't seem to get past. God is calling you back to a fruitful and deeper relationship. 
And then there may be somebody here today who, you know what, they've done all the right things. They come to church, they love people, they care for people, they care for their families, they provide for their families, they're hard workers, they're strong, they're faithful. But their heart is restless. Because it has not truly found its rest in Jesus. And if this is you, my friend, listen. God bid you come. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Either way, there's a mandate here, isn't there? For to me to live is Christ. Let's be faithful to that call. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of your son, Jesus. Thank you, O God, for doing in us what we could not do for ourselves, and that is putting your son forward to pay the penalty of our sin and saving us. Thank you for life in the son that is ours by grace through faith. But Lord, I also confess this morning that though some of us have life, we truly aren't living life as you intended. Some of us, Lord, are lacking in the area of stewardship when it comes to living for Christ. And what you meant through the example of the Apostle Paul, that for me to live is Christ. And so, God, with that, I just want to say thank you for your patience. Thank you for your mercy and your love and your grace that you extend to us. But, Lord, we pray today that you will help us. Help us to love you and to grow grow ever so closely to you. To go so far as to have the mindset of the Apostle Paul when he said elsewhere, counting everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Lord, help us to treasure you, to live for you, to follow you, to be faithful to you. No matter the cost. Thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.